Welcome to another episode of the Crunch Bunch Podcast. I'm your host, Al the Professor Maynard. The Crunch Bunch Podcast is a production of Uncommon Media and powered by Goss Dodge Chrysler Ram Jeep on Shelburne Road, South Burlington, Vermont. The number one Ram dealer in New England. Check out their selection today in person or online and tell them the Crunch Bunch sent you. If you'd like to hear more about how this crazy Crunch Bunch venture came to be, check out episode 20 on the Uncommon Deeds Podcast. While you're there, enjoy the rest of the amazing conversations our friends Tom and Justin have put together for you. Now, this is a very special episode for many reasons. First, it's anniversary week for the Uncommon Deeds Podcast. A whole year. Who would have thought? You would have thought you would have blown an engine by now, but you guys are still going. Um, congrats to Tom and Justin on this amazing milestone, uh, and obviously many years to come. Uh, in fact, since this is a bit of a throwback episode, I have a special host with me, uh, slash motorsports historian, the one, the only Mr. Justin St. Louis. So Yo. Juice, say hello. Hey, what's going on, man? <laughs> you know, same stuff, different day. Yeah, I know. You excited about this whole, uh, one year episode and I am way excited. Yeah. And I'm way excited for this particular, the crunch bunch show to lead off the week. Then we've got the Bucktona show coming on Wednesday and then the Ken Squire show on Friday for uncommon deeds. So this is a a one, two, three lineup here. And and I'm super giddy about the guests on this show today. Yeah. That's super cool. So, uh, well, the last reason this is so special is that it's throwback episode uh, to the roots of the original Crunch Bunch, uh, and I can't wait to learn more about it. So today we're coming to you from Zoom land, and uh, just so you know, we um, we got the audio together. We should be good to go. We always prefer to do these face-to-face, uh, but it doesn't always work out that way. Um, so let me introduce today's guest, Wayne, the Polish canon Wojtyna. Um, in 1992, ran a Tiger and won a feature. Um, in the graphic, if you found your way to this podcast, you'll see the picture of the 07 car on there. Um, I, I asked Wayne to describe um, its level of beauty and whatnot in a moment. Um, but then was one of the original street stock drivers in the four and six cylinder class. And he had a Capri, which we have an affinity for Capris. I ran Mustangs, but um, if we could find Capri fenders, we love them better and we'd always put them on. Of course, it wouldn't last very long, um, but we were always huge on the Capris. Um, he won his first feature, uh, won the first feature ever for this uh, street stock uh, group and and ran against guys that you know, like Joey Becker and Timmy Cantbell and the Gibbs and all the Martins and um, Ainsworth and Juice's old man and... <laughs> Christmas shod and the the list goes on. And so, um, you know, he ended up being pretty good uh, all year, won a title. uh, And so we're really happy to have uh, Wayne with us. Uh, He also won the the favorite driver race, which is something that I don't do anymore. Maybe we can keep talking about it. Maybe they'll they'll bring that thing back. Um, But then got out of the Capri, went with front wheel drive cars. And we'll ask some questions about that because we always ask folks um, about that. Um, and then, you know, drove with a lot of other guys that were, that are uh, currently in late models or were in late models or even have kids that are driving late models. And so um, it's a pretty cool saga. Uh, one that Wayne is obviously in the, the beginning stages of um, back in the early 90s. And so, and it was the heyday really of racing. And so it's really an awesome opportunity to have Wayne here today. Uh, how the heck are you doing? <laughs> oh, life is great. <laughs> 
Life is just crazy. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. It's, uh, you know, I'm kind of somewhat removed from racing. I took me a while to become a fan at a racetrack again, but uh, racing's just cool. It's once you get the bug, you're done. You, you're <laughs> always a race fan or a race driver. True story. True story for sure. Um, I don't know how many times any of us have retired and come back, but I think I'm on my third or fourth stint because, as you said, it is a bug. Um, but yeah. we're going to talk a lot about racing and stuff like that. But what are some other things that you do, like in your spare time or work or play? What are the things that kind of make up your day? Well, I, I do auto body repair. I'm probably 30 plus years into it. Um, still passionate about it, just getting older and a little slower, but I can always apply my knowledge to make up for it. Um, I've always been a mo- into motorcycles, but after I gave up racing, that really accelerated. And it's uh, besides uh, family, that's my ultimate. Um, r- motorcycles are right there, right after it. What do you have for a bike? I do Victory. Unfortunately, only lasted 15 years as an American motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had, I think, six victories. I think my wife, right now, she's got three of them. I think she's had six or seven herself. And uh, we enjoyed, for the first time, we went to Sturgis this year with it. Um, I probably have about 250,000 miles on uh, seat time. Nice. Just love them. Wow, that's great. Um, I've always wanted to do long rides. and I have a Harley. I've had it for a while now. Um, and I enjoy it, but I mean, like, what's the, what's the best story you can tell about Sturgis? It doesn't have to be G rated or even PG 13 for this podcast, but I, I also know that what's happens in Sturgis stays in Sturgis. So, um, do you have any interesting story? Well, of course you have interesting stories, an interesting story you're interested in sharing today with us from it, it kind of our last night in Sturgis, there was some people were camping beside and, uh, we wanted to go see tesla and they bailed at the last minute our friend said hey hairball's playing right in the center of town so anyways somebody found out that you can get a shuttle and it'll even serve you a beer okay so anyways we get on the shuttle they, for a dollar you get a beer the this band hairball was unbelievable and on the way back we're waiting there we get on the van to go back and the guy that we met up he said that camp beside us he goes hey i'd like to get a beer and the bus driver goes uh we ran out of beer so we kind of laughed and joked about it well lo and behold the bus driver pulls over at a store buys a 12 pack of beer just uh to finish off the ride and uh at the end of it he goes here guys take the beer and it's like what he goes take the beer i can't stand that stuff so uh it doesn't sound all that humorous, but uh, at the time, it was just amazing. The people were really cool. Um, it's amazing how you can get what they had, 750,000 people that came in and out for it. And everybody has a common theme. And to see people get along so well without any type of attitude was the amazing part behind it. Just no attitudes and a whole lot of smiles. Very cool. So well, and you, it makes sense. You, you gotta go like to, fill something in your life when you yeah, when racing you is out. Go to, so you gotta do something. You know, well, you can go to Loudon, and it's the same thing. Uh, they talk about the amount of people in the stands, but 
how many people are actually there, but that everybody still has the same common mindset and everybody gets along just great. So mm -hmm. it's a giant family. It's fun. That's cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll drink to that. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. For a dollar on a bus. Making <laughs> <Are you kidding laughs> me. Yeah. And I have to ask, since, since you drove in the original Crunch Bunch, like, how, did you get into auto body because of that? <laughs> Were you already into it? <laughs> uh, well, actually, when I joined the Crunch Bunch, it goes to a friend of friend, a mutual friend of Justin and myself, uh, John Adams. Uh, that tiger thing was kind of crazy. And John said to me one day, he goes, Hey, Wayne, build one and you will win. So it's like, okay, let's just build a race car and go racing. And, uh, who would have known it at the time, but that turned into a ton of fun. And he was right. I remember that, that first, you know, when the division started in 93 and it was four and six cylinders, it's still kind of the same street stocks as what they have now 30 years later but it was four and sixes did you have a six did you have a v6 i ran a six straight you six cheating son of a I was, so i was the i was the only one with a straight six. Oh, a straight six straight six amazing oh yeah wow well, which uh, car had the six in it it was the capri, the capri yeah okay and it was this, it wasn't this shiny green, beautiful thing like we've used in the pictures. And I've been trying to find, it was this ugly, god awful baby shit yellow <laughs> for a couple of weeks. It was uh, terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it took a little, little bit of time to get there. And I don't know how I came up with that ugly green. It was, had something to do with work and leftover paint, I think. And, and by design oh, my dad's first demolition derby cars were all like well, what paint do we have we just dumped them all in one thing we're like I almost a gallon here this is gonna be great and yeah. just roller yeah. brush them suckers right on <laughs> that's, that's kind of whatever yeah. comes out usually it's brown so the fact that you weren't that far to brown is pretty good yeah. oh man <laughs> that's hilarious yeah. i think it was well, actually paint that was that was mixed by whatever paint company and and uh, the customer didn't come and get it. So when I'm calling the paint vendor, it's like, oh, yeah, we've got this gallon left over. Would you like it? It's like, I'll take it. So, it's free. It's for me. Yeah, well, That's speaking it. of nicknames, your nickname is pretty colorful. So you got to tell us the story behind the Polish cannon. Well, come to find out, historian type of thing. Um, I can't remember the name of the gentleman that was running in the 70s and through 80s but dave moody already tagged that name to somebody so i think it just pat it went away for a while but anyways where it actually came from on the me was after that first race i was designated to start as the point leader at the tail end of the field and uh the car was just a great car and a lot of fun and that's what it was i had so much fun passing cars and and it happened quickly and uh, so that's what it came from. The Polish cannon was basically shot out of a cannon. Now, Wayne, just before we started recording, uh, I was telling Al, that it was actually before you got in the room here, that every single time that you came on the track, Dave Moody, as the announcer, would spell your name and say W-O-J-T-Y-N-A, just like it sounds. But we've just found out that he said your name wrong. 
for the entirety of your career. And so I've been saying it wrong. And I told Al how to say it and told him how to say it wrong. So please pronounce your last name for us. Okay. Well, my daughter told me when I was in my 40s that, hey, dad, it's easy. Your name is Wotenna. It sounds like antenna, but with a woe. It's like, hey, that's pretty simple. And uh, I tried to explain to people how to pronounce for years, and she made it simple. It's just like antenna, but Wotenna. Wotenna it is. Easy enough. So, yeah. so if well, you're in your 40s and figured this out, so you said it wrong forever, too? <laughs> no, but I just didn't care. Like, I'm 58 now, I guess, and, and whatever people call me, that's fine. I, yeah. I, I, most of my life, it was scrambled eggs anyway, so that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's mostly consonants in a row. It's like, it's not going to get said right. So I, I understand just being like, eh, take it as it comes, I suppose. Absolutely oh, no, offense. no offense taken at all. So it's like, just roll with it. That sounds good. Motel, my, it is. We won't, we won't screw it up again. And my, now the world will know. can if you'd like. <laughs> okay. My dad's cousin, Robin Hammond, also raced with you guys. And he called, he always called you Wojohowitz. He had no, he couldn't. I don't know if he ever said that to your face, but that's that's what he referred to you as. as Wojo and I remember him now that you mentioned him. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. He always kept a good looking car. He was a smaller guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Clean cut. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what he's like now, but uh, at that time, yeah, he had good stuff. Yeah. Good yeah. Stuff. Only ran for a year, but he was he was decent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and. Every once in a while, somebody will talk to me about it. And those were really cool years. Like it's, I've gotten away from it and I don't talk much about racing. I've got a pile of trophies in the basement. I don't know what to do with. Every once in a while, I look at them. It makes me smile. Uh, but there was some really cool people. That's for sure. Uh, and I'll never forget those parts. Really nice people. Yeah, and I think um, that's was one a, of the things we get into all, you know, when we talk about what you really remember, it's the stories of the people, right? And the reason you come yeah. back is for the people, the friendships, the relationships, the fans, all that kind of stuff really is, you know, those are things well, that I, really tie people together. Well, I think as a driver, the same thing happens as a, as a fan. You can go to a foreign track to you and without really knowing the, the characters, the names, the racing can be good but it's not the same as the track that you're used to and and uh knowing who the drivers are and i think the same thing happens as a as a fan of being a driver uh you know the characters you're racing against and uh it makes it that much more interesting well speaking of characters i hope you have a wiener story because we have a whole section dedicated to wiener so if you've got one like hold on to it because we're coming Okay, perfect. I'm glad. But let's take it before we go too far forward that way. I want to go backward a little bit. Um, And and think about like the first thing you remember driving. It doesn't have to be a race car. Like the very first thing you ever remember being up behind the wheel in. Many, many doom buggies and Volkswagens. My parents owned property in Johnson in a huge field. And uh my father, come to find out years later, the reason we always had Volkswagens because he had a side business repairing Volkswagens. Hmm. So uh, as a very, very young kid, it's like, okay, enjoy yourself. Come back at dinner time. And in this monster of a field, um, and then there was this uh, place called Mines Road in Johnson. 
and there was a road that we had cut up through the woods to get there. So um, I was driving vehicles when I was like eight. I'm sure yeah. it was all perfectly legal. <laughs> oh, of course. But uh, yeah. nothing was on any type of road where I had to worry about officers or people. But uh, my for- first road experience, I think I was 14 and I managed to drive my father. He got sick and we were at Bear Ridge and uh, real sick. And we had my little brother and uh, kind of drove all the way back from uh, Bear Ridge to Northfield. So that was my first actual road experience. And my mother was not pleased. I think my father got grounded out of that one, too. <laughs> I did also. <laughs> You're all grounded. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> uh, no, I got back home. That's what That's I did. Yeah. That's right. Trying to be helpful. Jeez. So, yeah. so I wonder what got you into racing. I can imagine like racing, like bouncing dune buggies off stuff, probably got you started. But what, what really kind of tripped your trigger, especially going like right into actual racing on, a, on an oval track? Well, I enjoyed model cars as a little kid. Um, and the majority of those were um, NASCAR Cup Series cars. Uh, I always had this thing about race cars. And then as I got a little older, my father started racing in a what I consider the original Crunch Bunch. And the, um, other than having the Volkswagens, which were mostly Volkswagens in it. Um, but my father ran a Pinto in that. A guy named Ron St. Louis was in, in that division. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey LeCare and the Therians, um, Bobby Therian, uh, not Bobby Therian, but Dick Therian was in it. A lot of Randy, guys. Randy. Randy Therian was in yep. there. Yeah. Um, it was so cool to watch that stuff. And and uh, that inspired me to race one day was that original four cylinder. That's up at uh, Catamount and Thunder Road back in like the 70s. Yeah, they did. My father actually ended up traveling. The majority of it was uh, Groveton, Speedway 51, back to Groveton, um, Catamount, Thunder Road. And then my father started traveling to uh, Agawam, Massachusetts, and um, wow. oh, the Concrete Palace, whatever the name of that place. Uh, so he's at Riverside Park Seaconk. and then Seekonk. Yeah. And then Seekonk also. Awesome. Yep. So uh, that's where it started. That's where I really got the bug was watching my father. So then he's racing like mini mods, like ridiculously fast four cylinder race cars. That originally started out as mini stock and then car count started dropping. And uh, it's like nowadays trying to maintain a junkyard warrior that the cars would get in an accident, fall to the wayside. So they incorporated the many modifieds, which were coming out of the Massachusetts and very few people from Maine, but then it got really fast and crazy. Wild. But that was, that was fun. And, but that's what inspired me watching, uh, watching my father in that class. It was great. Hmm. We have these conversations. There's always some kind of a family, usually some kind of family influence. And then, you know, those are the things that kind of get folks together and even just naming some of the, people that you've raced with. I mean, obviously Justin's dad, and then you got, you know, you raced against the Marcel gravel, not the the smaller Marcel gravel. Now, you know, like, so there's always these generational things that go on. And it seems like, it seems like those are really important ties to get people into something. And, and that's how I got into the, into it too. I mean, with my dad. So it's just kind of a thing, right? 
it's funny you mentioned Marcel Gravel. To this day, we're extremely good friends. And uh, actually, MJ or Micro, he calls me Uncle Wayne. But I was looking at an old flyer tonight, race car program, and I saw that in whatever year it was, it was in the front wheel drive days, that Marcel actually beat me by seven points that year in final standings. So I took a picture of it and sent to Marcel, and so we can laugh about that in the future. And full circle, I raced against MJ in a Mustang and four cylinders when he got started too. So, I mean, these kind and of... And you drove his late model one night. I did. I subbed in his late model once. And so, yeah, I, I kind of ran with those guys. And he calls my dad, um, I think, Papa John. Because <laughs> oh, really? we took a trip <laughs> over to Groveton one day to help him. My dad just happened to be here from New York, like eight hours away, south of Buffalo. He drove up to hang out and... Um, you know, we was going to stay for a couple weekends and we raced and stuff. So yeah, we went all the way to Groveton to when MJ was just getting started and, um, and ran Groveton with them and helped them out. And so, yeah, <laughs> I think even his mom, his mom still calls my dad, Papa John. How's Papa John doing every time I see them? So yeah, that's family, great. family everywhere. That's the cool part about racing. And the reason I think we all kind of stay in touch with it is because, you know, it may not be your family or maybe your family, but it's all family at the end of the day. And just like being at Sturgis, you kind of, that's the stitch that kind of keeps the thread going for everybody. And uh, yeah, I think that's why we're, we're here talking about it today. And that's what makes it kind of cool to be an uh, anniversary show. So, so thinking yeah. back, you know, thinking back, like what's your, if you had to pick a favorite racing memory, what would that be? It happened a few years later in the street stock division. Uh, but John Adams and uh, Steve Mandigo, and there were some other people, but the three of us were really tight at the time. And I can remember having this. We always started at the back, and we would actually go down the front straightaway. I don't know why the back straightaway is so much more forgiving. But on the front straightaway, I all, we always remember looking at each other, and it's like, oh, I, I'm past you this time, but the next time um, you got stuck behind somebody, you were behind. and it was just a duel and we would actually stare at each other in the race cars on the front straightaway and laugh and giggle at each other. And then we'd get out of the race race car and uh, we'd just laugh and giggle about it more. But yeah, to see that you're in a group of, of street stocks without suspension and tires and uh, the car is somewhat out of control and you're very tight, so you can actually look over at your buddy and smile and laugh at each other. Love it. So, uh, that was cool. That was cool. I want to ask you about your stint in the Tigers because knowing you uh, and then knowing the race cars that you put together after your championship season, it's unfathomable to me that you won a feature in the Tiger division. And that's when there's 50 plus cars every week and it's insane. And you're racing against Eric Williams and Ricky Roberts and Ricky Dennis and all these amazing drivers. So what was that whole experience like? A little over my head. There was some good money involved, but uh, I was just down to a, myself and and Joe Joe Wood, who stayed right there um, in my racing career. And he was a great wrench, a good listener. I was very good, I think, at trying to relay how everything was feeling in the car. And um, I didn't tell him what to do. He just did whatever it took. And uh, he was just a great wrench on a car unbelievable so um the money was there with everybody else but the car that i just happened to buy um 
was a very, very good car. And just a little bit of work on the car and air pressures following those. It was just, it wasn't that difficult. Just wasn't that difficult in the Tiger car. Uh, but the bills were just steep. I managed to stay ahead of them. Uh, but when it finally got to look where it's like, okay, this can bite into your family money. It's like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then when the Avenue of street stock came out, um, that was, that was more the level where I wanted to be. It seems like every tier that racing goes up, the driving gets a little more serious. And I wanted to go to what I thought was going to be more fun. And it certainly turned out to be that way. Everybody had fun in the street stock. It was the best place to go. It worked out just right. That teacher win was, it was special. I happened to be out front and those circumstances were right that night. Who did you beat? Oh, no. He was out of Hardwick. He was a logger. We've actually uh, chatted now and again many times over the years. And it was it was a hard victory. He was right there on my tail the whole time. Um, and I forgot let me see. Would that be Claude Cross? No, no certainly not. He was uh, Hardwick. Not one Henry of the Cleveland? major. No, no. And I know Henry and I know Claude. Forgot who he was, believe it or not. And if he ever oh, hears it, that, I forgot. He'll come and strangle me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Claude Cross. Let me tell you about Claude Cross, though. Please We're going to get silly. I, he always built his own motors, and it seemed like I always had to sit there beside his damn exhaust in the lineup. And he would start his car and never shut it off. There could be a 150-lap late model race. It didn't matter. And he ran racing fumes. And by the time you got ready to get on that track, you were hiring a kite, and your eyes were bleeding. You had tears coming out your eyes from his exhaust. And it seemed uh -huh. like week after week I had to deal with that. But he turned into a very good friend, that's for sure, over the years. Good guy. Well, who else did you end up connecting with, it? especially if in the beginning you didn't think you really would, but it really turned into a, a friendship, maybe even one you still have today? Like I said, probably Marcel Gravel, hmm. you know, most of all. I don't know. It's hard to say. It just, uh, just so many people. And John Adams has always been there. Um, kind of a somewhat of a father figure a uh, great guy to look up to and that's a guy that uh, i raced with in tiger bees just had so much fun with john and even going to some of his races when he loved plattsburgh and i couldn't stand the place so i would go to plattsburgh with him a few times uh, and there's some funny stories there too but we won't go into those oh yes <laughs> we will so yes we will totally will so john oh, no oh yeah john is Absolutely. You said, you said the words father figure and John was that and more for me from the time I was 14 years old till today. And I called him today <laughs> in advance of this show just to kind of shoot the shit with him. And he ended up telling me a story about you running an enduro at Plattsburgh and the <laughs> ride and the ride home. Can you share that? Oh with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't tell it nearly like John can. He's a great storyteller. Yeah. Willie's Auto, we built a bunch of cars. They all went to Willie's. Willie's Auto took, I don't know how many, I think he brought like 14 of us there on the house. And uh, so anyways, here comes Enduro time. We're all helping each other. I think I had a brake issue. This guy, Bob Clark, poured a bunch of 
vodka or rum into the brake cylinder because it ran out of brake fluid and bugged some of them off. But anyways, I'm headed down the back straightaway, and I think we're three or four wide. Um, you can't see anything because the cars were right in front of me too, and we're moving. All of a sudden, the sea opened up right in front of me just in time to go, oh, there's a dead car on the back straightaway. And being I had cars right beside me, I didn't have a choice except for get on the brakes and go straight into it. So needless to find out, that person was living in Waterbury. Uh, they got an ambulance ride to hospital, and thankfully the person was fine. But on the way back, we were on the ferry, and the people were staring at the car, and John goes, yeah, he didn't live, <laughs> or he was saying something to that matter, you know, and or he's alive, but he's, you know, he's dead, or he was, it was just hilarious, and he had people laughing that night. Uh, wow, what a wreck! And and uh, I never did another enduro after that over there because that the speeds in those cars are just insane. Yeah, seven hundred miles an hour with no cage. Exactly is what it was. And <laughs> yeah. in my case, I had, I couldn't go left or right other than that poor defenseless car sitting there. Oh, that was brutal. That was brutal. So that was that was fun. That was extremely fun. And then I did an enduro at Thunder Road. And uh, just found out that that wasn't racing. I gave up the Enduro. You just you're kind of meat in a sandwich, and you really don't have a whole lot of control. If you feel you have any racing talent, you can't really use any of it unless if you're lucky enough to get towards the end. And then I bet it's got to be a lot of fun. Sounds like you haven't been at the end though of these Enduros. <laughs> no. Okay, no. me either. By no. the way. I, I double dipped the street stock and then the enduro right after it with the street stock special. And yeah, we didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> These things, they happen. look like they're a lot of fun at the very end. Yeah. Extremely. Yeah. Well, so what other tracks have you raced at? So we've named kind of a handful of them, but you know, so we've talked to guys that like, Nope, just run thunder road, never ran anywhere else. Just, that's all yeah. like Tommy Thunder. He won a hundred races there and he just never raced anywhere else. That's just where I went. Um, so what other places have you raced and what have you, what have you gotten behind the wheel of? Well, in the street stocks, it was just Thunder Road. Mm-hmm. I did growth in a couple races at Airborne. Um, but that was it as far as when I was racing my street stock. And then in my later career, I, I did uh, ventured out to a lot more uh, tracks and and that was the goal behind, you know, joining a, a senior tour uh, was that ability to go out and test other tracks. And, and uh, that was just so much fun because I got to learn the history of other tracks uh, and racing. So uh, that was a ton of fun. That was a ton of fun. And I recently gave that up, too. But uh, in Lloyd is uh, was something else in helping me out on that, too. So uh, Lloyd Hutchins. Lloyd Hutchins. He just, uh, you know, I, we mentioned John Adams and, uh, you want to go to a historian, then you go to Lloyd Hutchins. Yeah. So yeah, it would be nice. My wife and I talked about it. I have, I've only watched, I think one, maybe two episodes of, uh, Dale Jr.'s lost tracks. I think it was lost tracks. And I talked to my wife and I actually mentioned you, Justin, where it would be nice for you to be able to fill out all the Vermont tracks that you've ever heard of and then give it to Lloyd also. And maybe a third person, I don't know who it would be 
cool to find out how many tracks we've actually had in Vermont. 79. <laughs> already done oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so you're probably talking to the right guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that I've been able to find. Uh, I've actually done that with Lloyd a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. But no, in my later career, it was fun, you know, to do Groveton and Thunder Road all over again. I wished I could have done Catamount, but I was never at that point in age. Um Menadnock, Claremont, uh, those were fantastic. I just, uh, I wish the near circuit would have reached out and did like Lee and some other places. Um, Seekonk is a place that I wished I would have been able to go to and the just timing worked out wrong on one race there. So, uh, I think these small tracks that we, or any track we have right now is very important. Uh, I wish people could support those tracks more often but in today's life and times everybody's in a hurry but uh i feel good that the tracks that i ever did go to yeah well it seemed like thunder road was always in a hurry mr curly always kept a tight ship um but having been at other tracks what um what i mean maybe it's thunder road but what what's your favorite track to have raced at i would say uh claremont is brutal uh but can be very fun it's quick and tight hard track to master but but i've had a lot of fun there um i would say the one that's south of uh i forget the name i'd mentioned it already that's south of uh claremont um actually menadnock uh now that's a trip that's a trip and uh everybody's saying watch out for turn watch out for the turn over there in the corner. They've actually got like a hump for a culvert. And it's like, oh boy, it does. It takes your teeth right out of your mouth. And anyways, after going a few laps on it, I finally figured out how that, how to work that track. And people are like, how'd you do that? And it's like, that's how I, that's how I run it. And they're like, wow, that's neat. So, uh, but that's a quick old school track. A lot of fun. A lot of fun there. Yeah. It's well, you mentioned cereal bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, other tracks and being able to have those experiences and, like you said, just tap into other talents and try to find more of yourself, like really test yourself. Um, but you also mentioned like the the back straightaway of Thunder Road is more forgiving, and you didn't and you couldn't figure out why. I think we all know why because the front straight is not forgiving. And have you been up in the Widowmaker? And if so, do you have an awesome story about? How do that we really have out? to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> the show is called the crunch bunch wayne yes <laughs> well it had nothing to do with the crunch bunch but it goes back to that tiger and uh i believe it was from uh rosier sear and uh he told me what he believed had happened and told me to check out for the future you know in the future i brushed the wall really hard one week and then the next week i was leading the feature and next thing you know, my end of my axle broke off and there goes the wheel up into the stands. I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore. But I climbed the wall. I forgot. What, it was Claude Cross. And there's my tire marks were across the roof of his car. But anyways, that night, everybody came into me after that happened. Everybody. And uh, so anyways, I ended up buying another car. And I was out there the weekend later on with another vehicle. But uh yeah, I I met the middle way, uh, 
Widowmaker, and, and well, it won. Yeah, it's not very forgiving. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I think all but of us can attest to that. As far as three socks were concerned, I never had a bad night. I never went over the bank. I never really went into the wall. Um, Joey Becker got ugly with me with me one night in a feature and and uh, passed me, and I forgot what position he got. I think we both ended up getting trophies. So the next week, I remember in practice, I got behind him on the back straightaway, and when it came time to let off the gas, I just stayed in it. And, he kind of went down to the rhubarbs in practice. It wouldn't be something I would do to somebody during a heat or a feature and not that many cars on the track, but that was probably only one of the times that I ever actually did intentionally pay back or hit anybody. But uh, I meant it. And, and I told him after practice was over, but as far as street sock, they'd never really had any type of major accidents. Well, knock on wood. Um, yeah, because that's not usually how that works out. No, <laughs> yeah. not at all. <laughs> I don't no. know anybody that has it. I think you might be on the short list here. Yeah, oh. yeah absolutely. A yellow would come out, and I'd look out the window, and it's like, oh wow, who was it this time? You know, but uh, I was fortunate in my career with the street stocks. I've had Very yellows come out and then have my my fuel cell shoved into the back of my neck. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. Yeah. After like a whole lap of the yellow, like someone forgot <laughs> to stop racing like that. That's, that's my recollection of how the yellows worked. And even or if you, you weren't in Butch, it, you were in it. <laughs> you could be Butch Miller. or I grew up knowing him as Morris Miller. And I think that was in a, the tiger bees. And he was on almost on the front straightaway with the driver's side showing and the yellow, the red came out and, and he just remembers hearing the cars coming out of the corner and they mm. collected him hard and nothing ever happened to him out of it. But uh, I can talk to, you know, Butch Miller about it and he'll, he just, uh, it's like, I thought I was a dead man. He just mm. heard the cars light up. It's like, this is over with. Mm. So, uh, well, I couldn't imagine. It's one of the most kind of harrowing senses of helplessness right other than being in the what? air and have it be silent because you're in the air i've had a couple of these experiences but um the one where you've well, come to a grinding halt and everyone else is not and you're looking well, right I at them one out on the street stock and uh and you just know that your driver's side is facing and you're still spinning and you just say if you're going to hit me make sure it's not there <laughs> exactly. and, uh, and i was always fortunate yeah well that's that's good not everyone not everyone always is. I want to go back to this rival thing because it's a question that, that Tom likes to ask. I like to ask it too. Um, and it sounds like, again, you were pretty clean around this stuff and didn't have much of a rival. But um, I don't know, Justin, if you've talked to Joey Becker about how much he listens to the show. But I'd, I'd love to hear more about if that was your biggest rival or if you had another big rival um, and how that came to be. No, no, I didn't really have many rivals. It was just everybody was a a friendship and we ran hard against each other, but, but really no rivals. And like I said, Joey Becker, that was the guy that really irked me. And, and uh, that was my way of dealing with it. And, uh, and like I said, I made sure it didn't happen during any heats or features or involve anybody else. So I just figured in order to finish a race, uh, you just got to be friends with everybody. Um, if you try to hit somebody or spin them out, my experience was somehow or another that car is going to spin and come back into you. So it wasn't worth it. And we've heard on the, on both of these podcasts, how often people say they did that. And that was their biggest mistake, right? That, that they ended up taking out their radiator or whatever happened to, and it just didn't work out. Right. Justin. 
if it makes you feel better, I don't think it was personal with Joey because he did that to everybody <laughs> in those days. <laughs> oh, he built he built these uh bridges on wheels is what he built, and he yeah. just put down the blade and went. He was put the strap on. Now let's go tighter. He uh, was, oh. he had those AMC spirits with gigantic exactly. tires on them. They sat a foot and a half off the ground, and you couldn't kill them. Uh, and, and then just, it was a. Yeah. Seymour Bidwell started building oh AMTs also. Now you want to talk about a Sherman tank. <laughs> and then the race would be over and you could see the rub rails on the inside of the doors. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was absolutely nut. he was another nut with an AMC. <laughs> well, and uh Al, do you know Dave Manning? You I bet you do because you raced the Bumblebee yeah. car against him. And he, he yeah, did the tire job for a while. Um yeah, he and, and Seymour had team cars. He actually ended up buying my uh, Capri. When I Dave did it, make the change, Dave bought the my uh, my Capri. I remember the night he turned that car over. I didn't know that was your car. Yeah, amazing. Yep. And that was funny because Dave and I are still good friends of this day. But that one goes from a long time before that. I think we went to every grade together since second grade. So mm. we knew each other for a long time before that. No kidding. Yeah, that yeah. that division, that street stock class, the first two years was when my dad was in it, ninety three and ninety four, when when you were winning, and and the Gibbs boys, and Dennis Griffin, and Terry Roy, and Bobby Gamash, and all of the Martins that have ever been born, and <laughs> everyone, uh, yeah, I mean, but it was a huge family atmosphere. There were no even Joey Becker at the time, who was a 16 year old punk. And I love Joey now. He's, he's a great guy, but um, you know, Timmy Cantbell, Adam Maynard, everybody threatened to beat the crap out of like throw a blanket party for him, but then they'd wreck and everybody would run over and help him out. You know? Yeah, um, absolutely. It was cool. And I remember if anybody ever asked me the first time I drove anything, it was a go-kart at a water park in Maine when I was, uh, 10 or 11 years old or whatever it was. And my dad was in the cart in front of me and I couldn't get the seatbelt on. And out of nowhere, shirtless with his mullet flowing in the breeze comes Jason Gibbs. You know, we're 300 <laughs> miles from home and he straps me into the go-kart and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> we just saw you Thursday night at Thunder Road. What are you doing here? And just out of nowhere, it was a racer that happened to know my dad. It was just super cool. That whole atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. I remember really well running with, um, uh, Mike Clark. I think he had an yeah. 11 car. Yeah. You want to car. Those guys had their act together. Um, excellent equipment, plenty of guys on the team. Um, that's one, that's a group that should have won the championship. Uh, yep. I don't know what that, as the season went on, I don't know what happened to them. They really faded away. Um, we had something going good, Joe and I, in the beginning of the year. And then Dennis Griffin come along and uh, oh, well, that came Monza. through with a lot of smarts, some good money. Um, heck of a technician. The guy mm -hmm. knew what he was doing. Um, and they just came on just like, holy smokes, this, is, this isn't going to be pretty now. <laughs> and uh, But they made it fun. And Dennis and I, I haven't seen Dennis in years, but. Uh, we were 
close friends for a long time after that until he moved, I think, to New Hampshire. But uh, they, like you said, a lot of good people in that division. And uh, and like you said, you didn't even have to get into an issue with your vehicle where you needed help. You know, the race was over and you just walked around and you talked to each other. Before the race started, you walked around and talked to each other. It's it's just a great division. When was the last time you, you raced a race at Thunder Road? It happened to be with my near car. And uh, it was a four-cylinder Pinto. And uh, I was racing with the Modifieds that night because that's pretty much, it was a Pro 4 Mini. and uh, But this thing's a, a real beast. And uh, it seemed on near circuit, I was actually teamed up with racing in the Modified division compared to the Sportsman. Uh, the car was really quick. So that must have been three, maybe four years ago. So uh, I've wanted to get on that new style of track so bad. And I just, I haven't. So, uh, and I probably won't, but uh, you never when, say never. <laughs> when did you, when did you stop racing street stocks though? Cause you were, you won the championship in that, in that Capri. And then yes. what, what the hell did you have a citation or something like that the next year? And then it was just front wheel drive stuff and, yeah, you know, I got an I bought an X11 uh citation and that actually happened to be off Mike Clark's uh one of his guys and they had built a car they didn't finish it yet and actually Mike Renault it was his car wow. that he was building and come to find out here it is years later and a close friend of mine Steve Renault is his brother. So Mike and I are he goes Hey, I remember you. You're the guy that bought that car off me. So uh, it worked out great. And I said, well, what have you been doing, Mike? And he goes, I'm a flagger at Thunder Road on the back straightaway now. Yeah. So, so funny how that all worked out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah so I did that X11. Um, I did get in. That just thing got tender. And then I got built an Omni. Uh, Dodge Omni. I built that. And I think I ran that for two years. So I think I only went another three years after the championship year. And then the kids just started sprouting legs and really needing their father. So it's like, okay, well, priorities. So um, I had my fun, but it was time to do some other fun. But yeah, that front wheel drive system, I saw it coming. And, and uh, I knew there was a different way. And uh, I'm glad that I ventured into it. I think I was probably one of the first people that were nut, nuts enough to try it. And I had a lot of people, why would you ever try that? And the car that I had, I found out that the V6s didn't work out on these things. Uh, and once I put a four cylinder into that car, um, it took off. It just took off and it was became fun all over again. So uh, I'm glad that I did venture into the, four, into the front wheel drive. Your career seems to span a bunch of different tracks and series and types of cars. And so there's probably a long list, but what would you consider your, your biggest accomplishment in racing? I should say the championship, but uh, um, just probably the people that I bumped into all these years and people that I'm still friends with. It was interesting how Justin mentioned, you know, the Gibbs boy and great kid too. And anyways, uh, we could be, 
in any state, it seemed. And I would bump into somebody that was that knew me through racing and goes, hey, aren't you so and so? And so that was fun. Just getting to know people because of racing. And probably my highlight about racing and it had to do something with the Crunch Bunch because it was for my father. So my parents live in Arizona. I decided to join near, but I wanted to come, you know, do a car for my father. So I found out about this Pinto in Pennsylvania. So it's like, this would be cool. My parents didn't know about it. So tore it apart, painted it up just like my father's, went to Johnson where they stay in the summertime and unloaded it. And I said, hey, come over here. I want to show you something. And uh, my parents were in tears because uh, my mom actually thought it was the original car that I that I found that my father owned. And uh, they were just so amazed that I was I would do that. So to me, that's probably the most heartfelt thing was building a car that looked like my parents and my parents actually believing it was the original car. But no, I would say the people that I bounced into all those years and uh, that I raced against. Man, that's cool. <laughs> yeah yeah super cool i almost i almost built the number one car that was blue and white yeah i know the, you texted me about that yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's close, flattering and a, close, and, uh, and a close friend of mine that i work with um he was actually trying to find a pinto because that's what he wanted to do since i didn't do it what anyways <laughs> who was that oh yeah oh i work with a I work with this guy, Brian, and um, Brian's wanted to build a four-cylinder car so bad himself. And then after I did the Pinto, since he's such a Pinto fan, um, Brian wanted to build one. And that was, he's the one that said, hey, check out this car. And it's like, yeah, well, I know that car. And it was your father's car. But uh, yeah, he was like, I don't know if I would do the blue and white or the white with blue. But, uh, oh, yeah, Brian just thought that your father's Pinto was the coolest Pinto out there. Man, that's awesome. I did yeah. not know that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I Actually, I got a picture here somewhere of it, but, yeah. And that's that's the coolest part about racing, like you said. I mean, that's that's the the weird connections, you know, that, yeah. I, and I didn't know that you were friends with Marcel Gravel. Oh, yeah. And, and I know how, how close Al and the Gravels have been. And you and I have, have known each other forever. And Al and I are, you know, we've been best friends for 18, 20 years, whatever it is. There's this weird love triangle going on here. And we've all got these spider arms that reach out to different areas. It's, it's pretty cool. Well, it's funny. You said love. And one of my last memories that I had of you uh, was I'm leaving Thunder Road for the Milk Bowl. And we talked about Lloyd Hutchins. And here's a man that people think he's such a cold, cold man, you know, Ooh. until you get to know him. And he's <laughs> and he's he's a softy. He's a great oh my guy. God, he's the best. But uh, we were leaving and you go over to Lloyd and, and I stood by Lloyd the whole darn weekend watching the races. But anyways, you go over and you give him a hug and you said, I love you. And he goes, I love you, too. And to hear Lloyd say that to somebody other than maybe a family member or a wife, I went, and I knew he was a nice guy, very sincere guy. But when he said that, I love you to you, I went, wow. <laughs> yeah. That amazed me. That amazed me. 
great guy. That's, that's the stitch. Yeah, great, great for the store. You know, he's great for the history of the sport and a great guy. Yeah. I, I did get to talk to Lloyd today on the phone too. And uh, yeah, I guess I, you know, I do remember seeing you with him, but I guess I didn't know that there was that connection. I should have known that from the near stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Racing is a big family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I said that, that, the night of the championship too, when I got up to make my speech and, you know, and I thanked a bunch of people, but the, the first thing I did was say, Hey, you know, you know, make sure you love your family and uh, because it is important. And it's, it's one of the things that draw families together is having a race car. Um, But it can be one of the toughest things too, because it's the dedication and the time it takes. But, uh, it's fun to watch racing. It's always been there with second and third generation. And, and like we talked about Marcel, how many times, but um, it keeps that family tight. Um, Marcel and MJ and, and uh, you go to uncle rich and stuff like that. And, and their grandfather, and um, it just keeps that family tight. So racing is a wonderful thing um, in that sense too. Having raced, you know, recently, um, what do you, what differences do you draw from like what we might call the good old days of the crunch bunch to kind of what you see racing as now? Um, are there lessons to be learned, um, directions you would take things if you were in charge of all the things racing? Tom Curley was a hard man, uh, super guy though. And he said in a meeting and several times actually that he tried to tell us in the street stock division or at that time crunch bunch, keep it simple, keep it fun. Um, and you guys trust me, as time goes by, you'll destroy your own division. You know, at the end of the year, we'd come up with drivers meetings and, you know, well, we want to have, uh, we want to have tires or we want to race fuel, use racing fuel, or we want to have some suspension. And that's what's happened with a modern day street stock and they haven't spoiled it yet. Um, but it's a ton of money and thankfully we've got junkyard warriors. So, uh, the competitiveness and the money has gotten in there and, um, you can go to the late model division, unfortunately, and the drivers, and they're all good people. Don't get me wrong, but they'll be standing in the end of their trailers looking out, but they don't go talk to each other very much. And, um, some of that happens in the tigers. You see the street stock guys doing it a little bit, but then you go to the junkyard warriors and uh, they're right there laughing and giggling all night long and helping each other out. I would like to see maybe claim rules or something like that on division. So uh, kind of keep the cost down. Uh, I like where they went years ago with a late model division where they came up with a crate motor and some other rules. Um, Cause you can go to Claremont and there'll be some gentlemen out there spending $35,000 on the motor and they're taking home a trophy every week, but who wants to build a car and compete against that? And that's what happens to other, to other tracks and divisions with car counts. So uh, that's something Thunder Roads, why they have the car count they do is they keep this thing really tight and under control and people feel they can go there and win. Um, So that's what I would try to do if I, if I had control over it. Um, Let's keep the cost down, keep it fun, um, and maybe you'll have more people racing. And having that entry 
level division is really the key. And that's one of the reasons to keep talking about it, um, especially like what what makes it work. Um, I remember those times where you're trying to put tires on and all kinds of different tire rules and stuff like that. And it definitely, you know, it isn't, it's not the same, right? And even having Eddie companion as my crew chief, and we had one meeting, we were talking about tires and offset of rims and all this kind of stuff. And they were teching everything and killing guys on dumb stuff like that. And it was like, and, you know, Dean said, well, do you want to just go back to street tires? And Eddie and I went, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they're inside absolutely. the freaking, they're inside the cars like they're supposed to be so when you touch you don't shoot someone 10 feet in the air like a freaking open wheel car and it'll keep the cost down and all the different things that we want to have happen in the division so i can totally see why you have to have a new crunch bunch like a junkyard warriors because otherwise the you know that's already out yeah. of hand like streets are already out of hand yeah i mean i can go to thunder road now that i'm a fan again and i can watch good close competitive racing in all the divisions well People want to go there and little kids want to be entertained. And if it means that cars are kind of sliding all over the place, or it's incredible, the former Crunch Bunch or the Junkyard Wars, you can bounce off a wall and keep going. You know, you can bounce off each other and keep going. Um, but the money starts getting in there and now you're bending parts and the cars don't want to go good and you don't finish the race. So uh, you need that modern day crunch bunch in there to make people entertained because there are there are the other three divisions that are just racing and you need to laugh tires killed my career not that i had a career but that's why i stopped racing um i was in the street stocks in 2004 and it was the first or second year that they had a track tire and i went through 11 of them in seven races and i said this is out of control. I used to go to E&E in Burlington on Riverside Ave and get their free junk that was in the pile. And if it had a hole in it, you put a patch in it and, and yep. you go racing. Um, yeah. and that's no longer the case. And I missed the startup of the warrior division. And when they did that warrior thing, they said, if you'd race street stocks, you couldn't drop down. So I was like, Oh, I guess this is it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And you need to, you need to have that entry level, uh, division and you need to keep it simple and have those rules in there too uh, where you can make it affordable and uh, people can get out there laugh and giggle and have fun and, and bring the whole family and and, and uh, be able to cheer on their hero amen to that yeah well yeah. this is a spot where I, I steal a question from Justin which is kind of weird because he's here now but I'm gonna steal it anyway because he hasn't Do used it, it. Yeah, you know the one I'm going to ask because it's my favorite, which is um, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car? It hurts a uh, little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, not really. Uh, I, I I don't know if it's the gas cap being off and next thing you know, you're, uh, you're getting flagged and it's like, why? Or uh, not putting your darn window net up, which I did twice. Um, mm. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's like, it's down. I know it's down. Well, I'm going to stay out here as long as I can. But no, nothing really too dumb. Not at all. It's, uh, no. Other than deciding <laughs> to strap in to begin with, which <laughs> people can question our sanity for ever even thinking about it, I suppose. I don't know. It's interesting how you can get behind the wheel of the race car. You can run those laps. You know, back then it was 
15, 20 or 25, something like that. And you get out and there's, you're in that car and you, you have a mindset, you want to do this or that to somebody, or you need to move here or there. And you get out of the car and you forget all that because mm-hmm. there's so much adrenaline. But no, as far as having things that uh, follies or things I would have changed, no, um, nothing. Uh, like I said, I had a pretty simple career in there and, and uh, didn't really do anything foolish or um, never had the steering wheel come off or anything like that. I mean, okay, we'll go back to where before a feature or heat would start, you pull the belts and then you tug on the steering wheel and all of a sudden, oh, this is loose. It didn't come off, but uh, it's loose. And it's like, okay, we hit the pin and push it down farther. But no, I never really had anything go on. Well, that's good because sometimes it doesn't end very well at all. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. We've seen these things before. Um, so now, uh, I'd, I'd have a much longer answer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Justin would have to pick from a hundred things um, yeah. from yesterday, probably. Uh, Justin, do you have any kind of historical kind of hanging on questions, things you'd really need to know? Yeah, I do. So you won a tiger feature in 92 and then they start this new four cylinder class and um, four and six, I guess. Did you get any opposition from Tom Curley or anybody when you send in your license and say, Hey, I'm, I want to do this instead. No, there was zero. Unbelievable. And, um, and then I was really surprised after I won the championship that I wasn't asked to move up a division. And that was something that kind of came into play the year after. Yeah. You know, if you win in this division, you either get out or get up, you know, move up a division. And But that didn't happen that first year. Uh, the only opposition I had was that uh, second year that I ran. And I came in there with that uh, citation. And I didn't file for my number in time. And that went to somebody else. And it really irked me. And I was a Randy LaJoy fan. So I put a Randy LaJoy paint scheme and number on my car. Mm-hmm. And I can remember going to the ticket booth and Tom Curley was walking by. And I can't remember what he said to me, but he was not a very happy man. And other than saying, I don't think I should let you buy a ticket to get in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, the wounds were still open from that lawsuit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I hit a nerve, but there again, it kind of hit a nerve. With me. I couldn't get my original number too. Um, but that was the only opposition. No, there was nothing said to me about dropping down. I think you probably, if I was a, a very good competitor, that was uh, definitely a top five, maybe a top 10 in Tigers. They probably would have said something. Yeah. But, uh, that wasn't the issue. And that's probably why it wasn't an issue for me to move to a street stock. I remember there was a, a brief period early, maybe two thousands, I guess. Yeah. That sounds right. When Mark Barnier, the hammer had been running late models for a, a long time and he ran out of money and he wanted to race and he had an old tiger car. And they said, you got to take, I think they made him take two years off before yeah. they let him come back, which seemed yeah. insane to me. Well, yeah, that you that you had a different experience than that. Yeah, like I said, it was the I think it was a year after that, you know, the, my first year in the street stock that they came out with that rule, you know, move up or move out one or the other. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember there was some dissension with a couple of guys that you could overhear them complaining about it a little bit. But uh, in racing, unfortunately, if somebody's doing well, there are complaints. You know, you know, they got headsets on, or they're doing this, or they're running suspension, whatever. I do have one more question: <laughs> the victory lap. And I know you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember the championship or that favorite driver race, but it was the end of the year and you won whatever it was. They handed you yeah. the checkered flag and the car takes off in the other direction. Talk about that. I don't remember the other direction. I can honestly tell you that. Or I might have been trying to do a Polish victory lap. That could have been it. Didn't you put it in uh, reverse and drive around the racetrack backwards? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that yeah. time. That's what? <laughs> I mean, like that's that's a totally different type of Polish victory lap. And it well, just I, it, well, it put the nice bow on the end of well, you you have know, the introduction of the Polish canon that year. But if you are Polish, I mean you really got to be Polish about it. So <laughs> so uh yeah, and it, it was difficult. It was yeah. difficult doing that. But uh yeah, it was it was fun. Like everything else, it was a lot of fun. I, yeah. I did a tribute to you with that. I won an Enduro at Bear Ridge, and I did that with you Thomas Blaise's really? car. Yep. <laughs> that was my oh, wow. That's salute super to cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thank you. Well, thank you very much. And it's not easy, is it? No. I unstrapped <laughs> and stuck my head out the window because I couldn't see where I was going. Yeah, Jeez. I think I just used the mirror only. You know, when you're going into the corner, it's like, okay, we're losing the track. Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Oh, goodness. Well, speaking of fun, this brings us to everyone's favorite segment, wiener time. So I'm hoping in wiener time, which of course is brought to you by Yates Auto Body on Route 14 in North Montpelier, Vermont, um, from fender benders to custom paint. See our friend Donnie Yates at Yates Auto Body and tell him the Crunch Bunch sent you. Um, those who know anything about street stock racing at Thunder Road know William Hennequin, but probably know him better as Wiener. Wayne, did you ever race against the Wiener? I think I may have at the very end. Um, but he was, I think he was just like a black car and he had aerosol number on the side, on the side. <laughs> and um, and, okay. and uh, yeah, he was really I don't know. He, he he was just out there just to do something. I'm not sure. He's still not sure, by the way, <laughs> if you were wondering. Um, so so maybe it might not be racing with him, but um, do you have a favorite Wiener Henneklin story you can share with us? Well, I did work with him for a while, and that was oh every day was insanity. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my um, God. At Majestic? Well, we would, we would lose him. Yeah, he worked at Majestic, and we would lose oh him during God. the daytime every once in a while. Well, he'd had his enclosed trailer in the backyard. Well, come to find out, he would just kind of escape and work on his race car. <laughs> Not a lot, but that did happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, he was kind of fun to work with, a little wiener. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we got our quote. Favorite, That's all we need. <laughs> so my my favorite Billy story, I guess, though, was. Um, John and I were walking through the pits and Wiener just got in this heck of an accident. I mean, he destroyed the car and he does that really well too. 
Mm, awesome. So, a pro. Yeah. yeah. Mm. He was resting on his trailer and an official came over to him quite a while later and said, asked him how he was feeling. And then how many fingers am I holding up? And John went over and he goes, are you serious? He can't even answer that question before he gets in a race car. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, oh, and then, oh, he and he didn't stand a chance in answering that question. He definitely had cobwebs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, his eyes roll in the back of his head when he blinks. Anyway, you know. Uh, yeah. So exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, what man. about work stories? Like, because I I worked with him when he was at Kevin Campbell's shop in Fairfax. Because that's where I kind of got started. Was with Kevin. He he welded in my first uh, roll cage into my first warrior. And, uh, yeah, Wiener was there, um, but he would sneak away usually for, like, another Mountain Dew and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups for his oh. episode of those or whatever. Yeah, Mountain <laughs> Dew and a chocolate bar in the mm-hmm. morning. That was breakfast. Yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then yeah. he that enclosed trailer, he painted a car. He painted a race car in that like 20 foot. You could barely fit a race car in enclosed trailer before. I don't even know where he would stand to paint that car, but he did that. Do you know, yeah. did, was that part of your time around him or would he paint no, his cars? No, no, I just remember him uh, living in the trailer because he yeah. had nowhere to live in Johnson. But, uh, yep. Can you imagine how many nights he has slept in that thing? Yeah. A bunch. Unbelievable. And yeah, it yeah. wasn't just racing nights either. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I think, but, that, uh, you know, he, this explains why out. he likes so much recline in his seat, racing seat. Yeah. I always wondered why he lays, <laughs> he'll take a 25 and lay it down to like 60. And just, it's like a recliner. Not And now this all comes together and makes more sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. Oh, so. man. So you can't, you know, wiener can't escape us. No. There's, there's a little wiener story for you. Uh, best quote of the episode thus far. Um, I like to end on uh, some quick hitters. Uh, mine are more traditional quick hitters. And uh, Justin, you could certainly add in anything if you if you want, whenever you want. We're partners in this Go today. Um, so Wayne, what's your favorite food? Pizza. Awesome. Um, we like people to learn more about others. So this is kind of some, I think these are things that help you learn about a person as an individual. So how about um, what's your What's your favorite music? Modern day rock. Okay. Favorite band? I would say uh, pretty difficult between Seether and Godsmack. Fair. Awesome. All right. Um, what's the favorite place you've ever been? I go so many places, it's hard mm-hmm. to say. I, I would have to pick a favorite state, and that would be uh, Maine. I can't say a f- favorite place. Okay. Fair enough. Um, what about a place that you'd like to go that you haven't been yet? I don't know. I really don't know because you know the uh, big bike rally out there you need to get to. I don't know. I'm uh I just want to go to every state in the United States mm. and uh, that's my goal. Like a lot of people say, well, wouldn't you like to go to Aruba? Wouldn't you like to go here or there? Um I just want to see every state in the United States. How many how many do you have so far? A ton. A ton. So uh yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I I would like to go down into the central southern part of the country. Uh, that's somewhere I haven't been, so that would be really cool. And uh, probably one of my favorite rides on a vacation my wife and I took 
we went all the way down to Tennessee on our bikes from up here. Wow. And you should have seen the luggage we had strapped on him. <laughs> and on our way back, we were actually a day a day or two ahead of time. So it's like, hey, let's go to Maine. So right through uh, wow. the heck we're going back to Vermont. We went up to Maine on top of that. So uh, you guys are hardcore. I we hit, I think we hit two. I think we hit. Was it 18 or 20 states? 23 states at vacation on bikes. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That's always sound like fun to me. I know it's something I would, my wife would never, ever be interested in. So uh, that is very cool that you guys can do that together. Well, I'm lucky. I've had my wife uh, and my partner and best friend for 34 years, 35, something like this. And, uh, <laughs> and she's my best friend. So we do our motorcycling together. Yeah. So I think that's how I got lucky enough to do all those. That's super cool. And um, the fact that she's, obviously there with you helping you answer these questions including how long you've been married means that and she hasn't struck you across the head right now means that you're definitely good partners in this really walked in probably two minutes ago so <laughs> perfect well yeah, this last this i can tell you though that my father was racing the near circuit he's got a modified and yeah. he's living in arizona and he's a he loves his car and I hope someday that uh, I get this Bodine car from him because I would love to race Thunder Road once again, but uh, with that modified, that would be fun. So I mm. wouldn't say my career is done yet. Love it. Yeah. Love I'd that. like to do Yeah. I'll make a lot of people happy. Um, my last quick hitter is, and I think you're actually one of the best people to answer this because you've done it all um, front wheel drive or rear wheel drive and why? I would say in a lower division, it would definitely be a front wheel drive. But uh, as uh, you get up into divisions and the speed gets there, it's the car handling that uh, comes into play. So definitely rear rear wheel drive as you get up in speeds. So in this kind of entry level division or junkyard warrior, I do uh, front wheel drive. What would you build? So you were planting the seeds for you getting back in. Yeah, Al's yeah. got a sweet CRX waiting for you. I got a CRX on to strap you in. <laughs> I tell you, Marcel Gravel with that Escort was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get anymore. That thing was a monster. Then you had the Gibbs boys with those Omnis, but they didn't weigh any more than 1,100 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, who had the last Escort? Martin raced it. Didn't, uh, Mike Martin, didn't he race Escort? He did with you, yeah. Yeah, and when I was in Warriors, I think that was the only escort in there. Yeah, uh, Marcel and Rich Gravel both had like the the original escort, like the brick. Yeah, yeah. They Those were things, they were they were quick though. They didn't weigh anything either. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I would say in a in a junkyard warrior or a street sock, I would do a front wheel drive. Um, they've just got a lot of pull and a lot of traction. But then if you get going faster, it's about gear ratio. So I'd go back to rear wheel drive. Mm. Cool. This is a thinking man here. Mm. Well, we don't get a lot of those here in the crunch bunch. So it's always <laughs> nice. <to, laughs> so I and, and, and of course, I'm kidding. All our previous guests and anybody I ask yeah. in the future, of course, uh, I didn't mean that in any way, shape or form. Uh, take it as you will. Uh, so so my favorite way to end these things is um, gratitude. I think we don't thank people enough or say nice things about other people enough. And um, so 
who would you like to thank most uh, for your racing career? Well, it'd definitely be my, my parents and my wife. As far as my uh, competitors, probably John Adams. Probably John Adams. He, uh, he threw me in a warrior car a couple, uh, I mean, a uh, street stock a couple times um, after I was done. Um, but definitely John Adams and pretty much everybody that I raced against and, and met just every, everybody was super, just, just plain super. But uh, mm. if I had to pick a couple guys, it would be uh, John Adams and uh, Marcel Gravel. Anyone um, else you want to thank? I mean, you've, you've kind of covered friends and family, but sponsors or anybody else that kind of helped you? Well, if I had to pick a sponsor, it would definitely be Majestic Auto. They, I'm still there to this day. Uh, if I wanted to build a race car, they would be there um, tomorrow all, all over again. Um, and then I had Perry Service Station. They were excellent friends and helped me with fuel to get back and forth to the track. Is That's just a major expense, too. So, uh, no, my racing career was really simple, you know, and Joe Wood was a heck of a wrench for me and, and, uh, and a good friend to this day and without Joe, it definitely wouldn't have happened. Um, you can only drive a car if it can get fixed and repaired and put on the track and, and, uh, he pushed it. He pushed that a lot. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And I kept on saying, you know, this is, this is tough. It's a lot of work, a lot of dedication, but he pushed. So some of my favorite friendships are from the track too. And not just Justin, um, but Eddie who would turn a wrench and then Justin, we wouldn't let touch a wrench ever. (laughs) And he would get to that too. Um, Speaking of Justin, do you have, is there anything left hanging out here for, for our friend, the Polish cannon today that you, you have to know? No, I, I think you hit on all the, the big points, but um, I, at 10 years old was so enamored with that division and its creation. And it will always be my favorite division, my favorite period of any sort of racing, no matter what happens in the future. Um, And to have my dad be one of the stars out there, (laughs) stars, Uh, (laughs) you know, well, there were, there were 18 cars and he was about 14th every week. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, but but his personality was just yeah yeah he he you know he won the the favorite driver poll one year he was the favorite driver for the year and that was pretty cool um but to you know even then i knew that my dad was not going to be winning races um so i always wanted to pick a favorite guy or you know of them even it would change every week but you were often that guy to watch you know i would always watch dad but know that he's he's not a factor so i would pick somebody else every night and you were that you were that guy more often than not the first year um so as crazy as this sounds my heroes were guys like wayne Waitina, uh what wotena now that i now that i know how to say it wotena <laughs> and <laughs> and the gibbs brothers um and terry roy at the same time, I held you guys in the same regard as Robbie Crouch and Junior Hanley. Um, yeah. And that may be odd to hear, but it's the truth. And so as a 10-year-old kid in the grandstands, I want to say thank you to you guys for laying that foundation. And, you know, that 
that family atmosphere and that division at the end of the night, all the kids go in the pits and, you know, everybody's like, Oh, that's, that's Ron's kid. That's Ronnie's boy, you know, and kind of took me in as this annoying kid that won't go away. So we might as well accept him and have him be part of the family. And that, that was a, that was a huge influence on me. So thank you. No, thank you. Um, There was this little girl that would come to see me every night. Her name is Terry. And uh, she made me a couple magnets, actually a couple different years. She made me magnets and of rate my race car and uh they're on my refrigerator still mm. yeah that's probably the only thing that uh, every once in a while like i said i see the trophies and, and i bump into the people but to know that you meant something to somebody was really cool at the time and especially a little girl and her family would come up to you and um that felt great that felt great it uh even if you had a rough night, it just somebody looked up to you and and uh, it made you feel better. It's like coming home to your own kids after a rough day of work. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It felt good. Yeah. But thank you very much, Justin. Yeah. Well, and Al, you know, has done a marvelous job with that in that role as a driver um, with the Race to Read program and everything else that you have done. I did not. And not because I didn't want to, but because I was 16 and I didn't know how to, um, you know, and I would give out posters and candy and all that stuff, but I wasn't ever like, Hey buddy, you know, I didn't, I didn't care as much as it looked like. (laughs) And that's probably a terrible thing to admit, but I just didn't, I wasn't mature enough to, I wasn't, I was not an adult. Um, so to have that influence as a kid, you know, and to see it now looking back at it, um, you did it right. I think Al did and does it right. Um, so that, and I'm, I guess I'm thanking you on behalf of all the kids from that era. So cool. Thank you. Um, can I branch away for a minute? So I'm going back to a near race at Manadnock and started at the back end. And I know what those races are, what they are, but we still have fun. And I flew up through the field. Uh, I can't remember what happened, but I, I got off to a late start. And I finished third in that race. So they're interviewing people, the other drivers. And the kids are coming out onto the track and some parents, which was a little unusual because you're still, you know, the night's going on. But little kids were coming up to me and they were talking to me. And, and as the interviews were going on, I'm putting little kids in the car. And they're sitting behind the wheel and they're smiling. Okay, we got to go next kid, next kid, next kid. And I think I did that like the 10 or 12 kids. And they'll never forget it. They'll never awesome. forget it. Finally, officials come up to me and said, we got to get up there. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it felt good to do that that night and finish like I did and have the run. But I can't imagine what it meant for for the kids. Yeah, and that's the future of racing, right? <clears throat> that's that's what keeps it going is getting those kids connected. And um, man, um, this is going to go down, especially the way that we kind of put a bow on this thing is one of my favorite episodes. And so I really well, appreciate you. you. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it, folks. The uh, Uncommon Media Anniversary episode of The Crunch Bunch. I want to thank Wayne, the Polish ca- can- uh, canon, sorry, uh, Wotena 
we're going to get right from now on. We're going <laughs> to we go. We're going to share it no, with everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave Moody's probably going to be the first call. He'll probably, yeah, he probably listens and then he'll be like, all right. And then he'll probably call and apologize too. Um, but yeah. thank you so much <laughs> for being our guest today. And uh, I want to wish you the best of luck and the best of health for you and your family. Um, you know, keep Riverside down and get to all 50 states. And uh, just to enjoy yourself and, and everyone around you. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. Oh, thanks, Wayne. This has no. been the Crunch Bunch Podcast, an Uncommon Media production. Be sure to follow, like, and share the Uncommon Deeds podcast on all social media platforms. And let us know how we're doing and who we should talk to next. Lastly, be sure to check out our friends at Goss Dodge and Yates Auto Body. Thank you all for listening. Stay awesome and see you at the track. <laughs>